This will be our last session as we talk on this third of five sections. This will be our last session uh, on uh, confronting people with truth when uh, in their subjective world where there is no truth. And uh, in as we get, we, we've been targeting this point where we can take God's word and use it. Uh, for some people that will acknowledge God's word early on, I would strongly recommend you go there very fast. You don't really need to spend a lot of time in the other areas of reasoning, of apologetics. doesn't mean that they might not benefit from it. They could, um, but there's not reason to, to establish that if they give you the Bible to begin with. Uh, certainly then your testimony needs to be there as well as we talked about that and the place of your willingness to uh, stake your life on this and that's uh, something that really points the world to truth well this is something these people are willing to die for this is something they will suffer the loss of all things for this is something that they really uh, mean and not just something they talk about and so we come to this section where we're actually going to employ God's word. And uh, just to give you uh, a range, uh, I went, in, I looked at my library a little bit and I was like, okay, here's the range of stuff on evangelism. I have <clears throat> this little booklet on soul winning and I have this book on evangelism. Okay, uh, so I wish I could say that their value is commiserate with their weight uh, of, and their size. But just to give you a concept of how easy we can make it and how complicated we can, and how, not complicated, but how uh, uh, the breadth of what's out there and what we call evangelism of sharing the gospel with people, but also the simplicity of what we're really doing. All we're really doing is sharing uh, uh, an answer to a problem. Uh, the problem of man is sin. The answer for that problem, it is the only answer, is Jesus Christ. And that's the core of our message. And the difficulty here is when people won't acknowledge their problem. We dealt with that in the second section on uh, confronting them about sin and now uh, presenting to them revelation or truth when they don't hold to that. And so we have these, that we, that there's extensive things we could um, study, but we want to really talk about how we use God's word. And uh, one of the uh, systems, and there's lots of them, I have many books on different evangelism programs, and I shy away from those heavily because when we become dependent upon them, we lose track of really the fact that this is supposed to be Holy Spirit-led, uh, that it's going to vary depending upon who you talk to. And so when I engage a college student will be very different than I gave somebody in a, in a setting where they've, they're ex-cons or in a setting where they um, uh, have a history in Christianity and they've been embittered against it. So it's very different in those different settings to share Christ. And that's why we're trying to really focus on those in terms of the end times when we have the, the preponderance of our society going to the point that they really can't answer just fundamental questions. And we're not talking about ignorant people not being able to fun answer fundamental questions. We're talking about educated people 
not being able to answer fundamental questions. And we had that shown to us, right, this week, or was it last week, when here's a Harvard graduate that can't define what a woman is before a Senate Judiciary Committee. And, and we want her to be a justice in the Supreme Court, and she can't define what a woman is when confronted. That happened. A woman senator says, can you just tell me what to define a woman? I can't do that. I'm not a biologist, was her answer. You know what the media did with that? The mainstream media? That's a really good answer, because even biologists says they don't know. Well, they should have asked me. I know what a woman is, you know, looks a lot like my wife, you know, but it's an adult female human, okay, that's, that's what a woman is. But So when we talk about being unable to answer fundamental questions, do you see the absurdity that we've come to of, of we will not acknowledge anything is true? So this point is becoming very... Uh, <laughs> belabored in our society, uh, granted by the woke community, but really it just trickles down and it, and it characterizes so many uh, because most of the teachers in our public schools are woke uh, and the curriculum is woke and to the point that we can't, you know, that someone comes up and says, well, what's my pronoun, your highness? You have to call them your highness because that's the pronoun they go by. You know, we've gotten to that absurdity, all right? And then don't even get me into trans, all that. Anyway, so, so that's the necessity. So when we plow through the rest and we finally get to that point where we've established it through reasoning, through apologetics, through our testimony, that we can come now and we can introduce the Bible and they'll allow us to use the Bible, um, there's a lot of ways to use it. Now, we, uh, you'll see people that, that will say, well, you should hand out tracts, and every tract has the, the points of salvation in there, uh, and everyone has their favorite one, and that was an old-world way that we did, and people would just be distributing tracts all the time, and they would say, you use this one, and show all of them, whether it's the Roman road tract, whether it's the four ways tract. Or, I mean, we have lots of them in our library over here as well. Um, all are using scripture references, but we talked last week about the value of actually using a real Bible and the impact that that can have on people. And remember, I gave you an illustration of my wife's coworker that just ripped pages out of her Bible and handed it to people. Uh, and just the shock of that, of just saying, oh, and now taking it a little more seriously, maybe, you just tore a page out of a book. Uh, well, maybe that's not a big deal anymore in the age of plagiarism that's all over the place where we just copy and paste out of Google everything we need, um, that the, the value of the written record, or maybe it's even more important, I don't know. Uh, but when we get to God's Word, we can certainly quote verses to people. And, and I'm not going to say that is of no value. There's certainly about certain that, but when you come to someone who doesn't have the Bible, is giving you the Bible, or perhaps they have their own, they just haven't read it, and you come to them, you say, well, in John 3, 16, in Romans 3, and you start spouting off references to them, even if you quote those references, uh, it, it, it will have an effect, but its impact is diminished. 
All right, because they don't have that contact with it. They don't know what Romans 3.23 means, really, because they never really open their Bibles and understand how chapters and verses work, and largely our educational system doesn't deal with it. Back in the day when you had to study Shakespeare as part of your fundamental education uh, in high school, now they don't even do it in college, you understood being able to you know, act, uh, seeing this, line this, and that's how you found things in Shakespearean works that you were going to quote and reference. And similarly with the Bible, we are taught what chapter and verse entailed and book and all of that. We are taught that in school, not anymore. And so you can quote all that, and, and, uh, but it, it's of less benefit than for them to see and read it and hear it. And that's why one of the plan, one of the strategies that I really enjoy was this one, Share Jesus Without Fear. And again, it's not the only book. I have lots of books. There's lots of programs out there. And I'm not going to sit here and say you have to do it this way. Uh, I'm just telling you that, that there's a portion of this that I think is really valuable. And that is when they talk about how to use God's word. And so on page 54 is the summary of what I want to talk about today. And that is of being able to take people to God's word and show it to them and have them read it. And if they want to read what comes before or after it, that's fine. But they have seven passages. And what they recommend you do is, um, because you're going to be having your Bible upside down to you because you want them to read it, upside down on the top of their Bibles is the next reference. So you have seven verses in a row. Now, if you use this quite often, you don't need that help because you know where you're going next, right? You know what the next verse is because you know those seven references. So they have seven references they want you to share with people. All right, now, you, I could pick out seven. They have their seven that they recommend. Um, certainly, if you want to stay all in the book of Romans, you could do that. But the whole idea is that you're putting the Bible sometimes into their very hands, and even if it's their Bible... Now, this becomes a little tricky if you're dealing with someone that has certain translations. Uh, the New World Translation, what translation is that? New World Translation, who puts that out? The whole Jehovah's Witness. Um, that doesn't mean you can't get the gospel out of there, um, but you have to be careful because I really don't want, because that whole purpose of that Bible is to deny the deity of Christ. Because Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that Jesus is God and similarly but uh, with others but if they have a Catholic Bible if they have a, a weird version that I'm using uh, I'm usually okay with that um, it, it's workable and I'd rather use their Bible than mine and that's why I think it's valuable to have in your mind well these are the references that I should be using and or something similar and we should be handy with that with our Bibles but allowing them and so their whole approach is, is that you're going to look at, have this passage, uh, and you only need the first one to know where the first one is. The first one they have is Romans 3.23, okay? Which is where we said we needed to start. We need to start that men are sinners and need a Savior. They, if they do not acknowledge that, that they, they really will not seek repentance. And, and so what they do is they have you to go to Romans 3.23, all right, and so I'm going to turn there in my Bible. I said, you know, the, and I'm not going to tell them what it says. I said, 
well, you know, we're talking about these things, and would you like to read for me Romans 3.23? And I turn it around, it's upside down to me, but I already know what Romans 3.23 says. I hope you all know what Romans 3.23 says, but if you don't, um, have them read it, because they probably don't know what it says. So you might have to find it for them, and that's upside down. It's kind of hard sometimes, so I kind of like... I kind of like having it underlined. And because Romans 3.23 is actually the middle of a sentence, if it's someone that's prolific, a good reader, and I know it, and, uh, and I know they're a good reader, I might have them start up in verse 21 and read through 23 or a little bit farther even. But if, if I don't know whether they can read or what their proficiency level is, uh, I'll just ask them, can, can, somewhere online, hopefully I picked up that they can read, and if they can't read, I'll still show it to them and put my finger as I read. Just like I do with children, that's how children learn to read. Don't just read to your children. Point to the words that you are reading as you're reading, and that helps them learn words by sight. Okay? And so I would point to Romans 3.23, and they would read. Class, read it. All right, they read it. They saw it, they heard it, they said it. You've used three tools of learning. There's five, but you've used three of them right off the bat. They saw it, they read it, they heard themselves say it. Okay, ears, eyes, and mouth. There we go. <laughs> Which one I was missing. Ears, eyes, and mouth. So we, we do that. And now the very next thing you're going to say is, you're going to explain, exposit that verse, right? No. The very next thing you're going to say is, what does that mean? What does that mean? Ask them the question. You're going to ask them to interpret it for you. What does that mean to you? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if you want to read a couple of verses early about the righteousness of God compared to the, the sinfulness of man, um, ask them, what does it mean? What does that mean to you? I'm not explaining it to you. You explain it to me. For all of and they might have to read it again, and that's okay. <laughs> let them read it again. And if they say, oh, let me read around it to see what it's talking about, huh? and that's okay too. We're not taking it that far out of context. Um, we are taking it out of the middle of a sentence, but uh, and if they want to read more, I'm okay with that. Uh, there's nothing indefensible there against that statement. All of sin falls for the glory of God. In fact, I want them to think about it. You're inviting them to determine the meaning of these words. What does this mean? This is what the Bible says. This is what the Bible says about the condition of man. And hopefully at some point they say, well, that means that none of us are good enough for God, or what is the glory of God, or are equal to God, or can be as good as God. Uh, it tells you something about God, doesn't it? Remember in our talk about how to present the moral absolutes of that versus the subject or the um, <laughs> really it's just no morals uh, that the world has. And so we're asking them, what does that mean to you? And they're going to get pretty close. And I'm not going to go into it extensively. I'm going to say, does that, so that includes me and you, all men? Is it just men? Are women off the hook here? 
Women aren't his sinners. Right? All mankind, and some versions will say that. And so pretty much all of your versions have something to the extent that everybody's a sinner and all of us fall short of the glory of God. I might give an illustration of that, you know, and, uh, but I don't want to dwell too long in there. I just want them to think about it, give it, and, and, and I'll say, we're all in the same boat. Right? We're all sinners. All men are sinners. Now, you'll hear people that, and we talked about this under sin, uh, well, I just believe we all make mistakes. It really doesn't mean that we're all guilty before God. And so I use a different illustration. I said, well, you have to be perfect to get to heaven, and it's kind of like the, the ride at the amusement park where you have to be this high to get on, and you're this high. You don't measure up to the standard of heaven, and therefore you don't get in. Okay? I can use that illustration. There's lots of things, but I'm letting them see it in God's word and let it, let them, by asking the question, I'm letting them think on it. We're trying to move their thought pattern and meditate upon that. If I just start talking about this verse, they'll do kind of like what you do when I'm preaching, just kind of zone out sometimes and Oh, he's preaching, that's right. Okay? Or zone out sometimes. Like, no, no. Um, because our minds wander. But when we're asked to speak, it's a little harder for your mind to wander, isn't it? Because you've got to think of what to say. <laughs> what does that mean? And now they've got to engage. And there's, hey, we're all sinners. We've all done wrong and, and fall short of the glory of God. We're in that condition. Okay? The next one that they have you is to go, and it sounds like we're still on the Romans road, but we're close, so you go to Romans 6.23, right? All right, so if everyone's a sinner, what does that mean? So I turn the Bible over a couple pages, it's real close, and I say, well, here's Romans 6.23, and this time we are a complete sentence at the conclusion of that, and what does it read? Wages of sin is death. Who dies? Why do people die? Because they've all sinned. But you're not going to tell them that. You're going to say, what does that mean to you? Explain to me what that, what does that mean? You see, it's not me telling you. It's not you trusting me. It's you reading God's word and seeing that this is what God says. And you really do understand it. It's not hard to understand that the wages of sin is death. And they're going to figure that out, that, well, um, death is because we're sinners. And, and I can elaborate on that, but essentially I just want that to be established. And then this whole idea, but there's something from God that will give us eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And they'll understand, people know what wages are, people know what death is, and people know what a gift is, don't they? Do they know what eternal life is? Oh, you're starting to introduce the concepts of the good news. So the first half of this verse finishes up the thought from the no, verse number one, which is all are sinners, that's our condition. We're all facing death, not just physical death, but spiritual death, not just on this world, but eternal death. Uh, we can elaborate on that extensively, uh, but we want them to understand it 
from God's word, this is what the Bible declares. You read it, you look at it, and this is what you want to do with whatever list of verses you want to use. If you want to stay in Romans the whole time, just go through the Romans road. Now you get to go into Romans 5, but God demonstrates things like that. That's Romans 5, 8. They're not going to go there on these seven that they have. Now I want you to notice they, didn't give, they don't give 42 verses. Okay, why? You'll lose their attention span. You're just going to have, uh, I, I just got like six or seven verses. All right, now I, I, I'm not doing this out of the blue necessarily, but I got to tell you, this was the, uh, I used this method in um, Utah with people I did meet out of the blue at the Olympics. And some were not from this country. I says, and they were excited. Let me tell you, they were excited, number one, to see a Bible. Because some of them came from countries that there weren't Bibles very readily available. And number two, they're really excited to read something in English out loud and show how good their English was. Okay? And so um, they cooperated quite a bit. And, and then, then to have me ask them, what does that mean? What does that mean to you? you know, I, I don't want to fill it with meaning. You, you tell me what it means. Because those are straightforward words. So the next one, they so you can use it really cold turkey with people, but hopefully you've developed a relationship and now you've gotten the, the opportunity to use the Bible and even use their Bible. The next one they're going to take them to is John 3.3. 3. So on the top of my Bible, and I didn't use this Bible, I took, uh, I, I meant to bring that Bible home. I have it up at the Bahamas. It's the one I use up there. Um, I don't know why, but it's the one I use up there. And uh, it's the one I, I took, and I did all this in the verses because I used it in Utah, uh, and, but now I've got them. So you go to John 3, 3. So you would have up the top here under Romans six twenty three upside down. But now you're looking at it upside down, and you go, oh, yeah, the next one's John 3, 3. Got it. Right? I don't write it backwards. I just write it upside down. So it looks backwards when it's turned around. So I go to John 3, 3. What does John 3, 3 say? Well, let's turn there. Let's go to another. This is Jesus talking. Oh, now, what happened in Romans 6.23? At the end of the verse. Now you've introduced the guy. At the end of the verse, you've introduced Jesus Christ, right? That was the last thing of the previous verse was the, through Christ Jesus our Lord. So we go to John, now, Jesus Christ, you want to see what he had to say? Let's see what Jesus had to say. <laughs> you have to learn how to use your Bible upside down. <laughs> and if you take that Bible up, I have it up there, but um, and it's really hard to, for me to read now because I'm old. It's a tiny, but it's a full Bible, but it's pretty small. So I can put it in my pocket. So John 3, 3, and I, and I go there, and it says Jesus. So we ended with Lord Jesus, Jesus Christ Jesus, our Savior. So let's see what Jesus said. Um, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, some people will avoid this because of this term born again and its abuse. Okay? But we're going to use it. It's in the Bible. Uh, this is a great passage because it has the guy talking that you just introduced at the end of the last verse. 
Let's see what Jesus says. How do you get to heaven? How do you overcome the problem that you don't qualify for heaven because you're a sinner and death is your future, but you can have eternal life and eternal life introduces the concept of heaven. It, it correlates with the glory of God because that is where God is in his glory is in heaven. And that is eternal life where you will live forever. And so, Jesus Christ, how do we get to the kingdom? And so the next verse we're going to take him to here, John 3, 3, Jesus himself. What does Jesus say it takes to get to heaven? You must be born again. What does that mean to you? And here you have some exciting times of what they think. Because remember, Nicodemus didn't get this either. <laughs> And this is kind of a fun opportunity to say, what do you think it means to be born again? And, and they'll call us some interesting, I, sometimes they've heard this born again Christians and they've heard it in, in movies and in that setting. But here's Jesus saying you must be born again. And they'll think about that. They might come up with something similar to Nicodemus. They might c compare to something else. But um, we're going to ask them what they think that means so that we can talk about what is entailed in being born again. And so uh, the question then is that I want to go to is that um, I want to get to is why did Jesus come to die? I'm introducing the next concept because we, we have to figure out what born again is entailed, but I'm really trying to get to the idea of Christ's sacrificial death. And so we're going to go, and the next verse they have is John 14.6. I told you there's a John road and a Roman road. You could stay all in the book of Romans. You could stay all in the gospel of John um, and share the gospel if you just have that. And some people will do that. They'll just carry around a little gospel of John. Or they'll just carry around a little New Testament because they can give it to you. You know, if order them by the case, give them away. Um, but don't give them away until you show them these verses and actually mark them or highlight them or something in there so that they can find them again, uh, the ones you're sharing. But here we go, John 14, 6. So is John 14, 6. This is, why did Jesus die? Why, that's really our question that we want to understand. And what does John 14, 6 say? Jesus said unto them, so we still have Jesus talking. No, John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you couldn't get to the Father. Now, what does this mean to you? And so we're looking at this. What does this say to you? What, what does this mean? I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Now, um, they get to that. What does that claim? Jesus is claiming what? Big word. He's claiming exclusive, being exclusive. This is an exclusive club. There's only one way, right? I am the way. I am the truth. I'm so what is it that Jesus did to provide a way for men to get to heaven? We couldn't get there because we are sinners and we are doomed to die um, because of our sin. Well, Jesus Christ says, I am the way. I, I came to provide a way to heaven. I am the way, the truth, the life. 
Noah, and remember the life, we already introduced to, to eternal life as the gift of God in Romans 6.23. Um, and the concept of entering the kingdom of heaven is, is must be born again. So now we go into this and we say, what does that mean? And, and it's, they get it. This is not hard to figure out. If they have any command at all of the English language, they figure out that this is a claim of exclusivicity. I said it. Okay? They know that this means there's only one way to heaven, and that is through Jesus Christ. And so, and we could talk about, and, and somewhere between the last verse or this verse, you're going to talk about what Jesus did. Okay? That Jesus Christ came and he died as a sinless person on the cross, as a sacrifice for others. So this is between one of these two verses. For some people I've talked with, it comes after the third verse when I talk about why did he have to die. Um, and because of sin, he had to pay for the, your sin, take your place on the on, uh, by death, dying for you so that you can have eternal life. Sometimes it comes after this verse. He says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What does that mean? It means that he died in a substitutionary way for you. He died in your place. You don't have to use the word substitutionary. He died for you. He died for me. He died for all men who are sinners. And we're sharing that somewhere in that point of those two verses okay and so whatever verse you went to now it might be the fourth verse you take up to it might be if you're doing the romans road um if you go to romans 5 8 but god demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners christ died for us that's why i like to insert romans 5 8 into their list and i take one of their list out so on my bible it doesn't have these seven but i'm just giving you their seven but i want you to know i i like Romans 5, 8, because it attaches your sin to Christ's death. That while we were still sinners, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinners, which is where we left it off there, Christ died for us. So now we've connected the death of Christ. That's why he died, is because to cover your sin. All right? But they, they have a slightly different approach. It's okay I just want you to know God's word and be prepared and know the progression you want to go through of, of introducing sin, introducing the consequences of sin, introducing the offer, and introducing the necessity of Christ. And it's always good to have the words of Christ. And if they're in your red letter edition Bibles, um, it'll show up even more emphatically to them. Oh, this is Jesus talking. Okay? And... And to some people, that's more significant because they think the words of Jesus are real and the other words are added, that the red letter ones are the only ones that really matter. Well, so I want to include things like John 3, 3 and John 14, 6. Okay? And so the next one they're going to take you. So now we've really shared the gospel of its provision in the midst of this. The next verse they're going to take you to, which is I like to use, is Romans 10. So we're back to Romans. We're just going back. Two books of the Bible, John and Romans, you could stay in one, Romans 10. Now, this is going to be a little bit longer passage, but uh, it's going to be three verses. They have 9 through 11. So, 
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And so our question is, guess, what does this mean to you? Now by now, they already know you're going to ask that at the end of every verse, right? (laughs) If they're alert at all. And so that what this means is as you're going along, they're going to be reading these a little more carefully the first time. Now, sometimes I, I get to this point, and they might find a reason to take off, and that happens, but I've gotten a few verses into their mind. But I try to get to a... a a concept of you, are you trusting in Jesus, or believing in Christ fairly quickly in case something like that happens. Um, I'm okay with leaving them knowing that they're a sinner, that they're dying, that they're short of God's glory. If that's all I get into them, that's a start, and someone else will have to add to that seed and water it. Because I don't want to tell them, Jesus loves you is the first thing I want to tell them. I'm going to tell them, you're a sinner. You don't deserve to have it. You deserve death. That's what you've earned. That's what wages are. Okay, so if that's all I have time to get into them, um, I'll say there's more to this. If you know, I'll, I'll people walk away at that point. I have. I've had. I had one person walk away as soon as they saw read all of sin falls short of the glory of God. What does that mean to you? Well, we're all sinners. I don't want to talk to you. I was like, there's more to this story if you want. Kept walking. But at least he read in God's word that he's a sinner and he falls short of the glory of God because that's where it begins. And then I pray for the Holy Spirit to convict him. So sometimes they'll turn away because they don't want to acknowledge sin. Okay? And so Romans 10, though, takes us to the if. And I love the if statements, right? That's a condition. If. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, who Jesus is and what he did, which is described in those verses by um, the, uh, the Lord Jesus, right? Just by the Lord Jesus. That God raised him from the dead, the resurrection, because you hopefully you've included not only his death, but his resurrection. You'll be saved. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, they'll figure out what does it mean to confess something. I'm acknowledging, I'm agreeing, I'm agreeing verbally, I'm confessing with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, and I'm not just saying it, I have to believe it in my heart. Now, will some people just want to pray a sinner's prayer to get you out of their way? Yes. Okay, I'll do that. Okay, I want to go shopping, or I want to go skiing, you know, or I think the next Olympic event is soon. You know, I had that, you know, it's a parking lot, you know. Um, that's why I preferred the mall assignments, because everybody, nobody has a, they're at the mall. They're not in any hurry. Uh, but uh, at the venues, it was a little more difficult. But um, so we have this opportunity. Well, that it's up to you. Yeah, it's up to you. Are, are you willing to confess your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, the resurrection, and, and not just say it, but believe it in your heart? And by the way, not just believe it, but say it. Okay? Both ways. It says both, right? 
that we're going to not only just believe it, but we're going to really say it. And, and, and in our tradition, the way we do that is through a sinner's prayer, but that's really not what the verse says. That you're going to make public confession uh, before God and men that you trust in Jesus Christ to take away your sins and to grant you a place in heaven and that you trust in him and him alone, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I want to confess, because that's what's involved in being Lord Jesus Christ. They won't be able to pull that all out, but I want to hear what they have to say about it. Well, it means that if I say something and believe it for real in my heart, I can be saved. Because with the mouth, what does those other verses say? Um, it actually doesn't reverse. For with the heart one believes in the righteous, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. That's the A-B-B-A Hebrew format of, of logic. And so, uh, and that's how you can be saved. All right, so now you've gotten to an important point, verse 5. And uh, so then they have a, another verse. Now we're going to leave our Romans, and, and they have 2 Corinthians 5.15 is their verse number 6 that he recommends. 2 Corinthians 5. Don't do 1 Corinthians 5. Very different verse, 1 Corinthians 5, from 2 Corinthians 5. Just in, so you know what you're going to take them to. If you go to 2, 1 Corinthians 5, there is no 15. And you'll have someone like Paul Smith said, show me where it is. It's not there, because it ends at verse 13. All right, so 2 Corinthians 5, 15. And by the way, I like to have him read verse 14. This is where the sentence begins. For the love of Christ compels us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who lives should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Now, we have just taken an enormous step. What is that enormous step? And this is what I like about, this is one of the verses I really use a lot, especially if they give an affirmative answer to the first one, to the other verse, because I want them to know, even before they give an affirmative answer, we're not just talking about pray a prayer and walk away, and you got heaven guaranteed. What does this verse say? Yes. This is going to change your life. Now, there's lots of verses you could talk about, the transformation of life, that you're going to walk differently. It's going to change your life. It should change, if it's real. If you genuinely believe it in your heart and you're confessing with your mouth and that's a real commitment, I am, I am committed to Jesus Christ. I am asking for him to cover my sin through his shed blood. I want to live in the power of the resurrection uh, that um, overcomes sin and death and allows me to, uh, to have access and, and um, citizenship in heaven. Uh, if I really believe that, it's going to change your life. If it doesn't change your life, it isn't real. So I want to introduce the kind of, a lot of tracks and a lot of evangelism programs don't include that. Matthew 28, 19, and 20 tells us to do what? Go and make disciples. 
That is a follower of Jesus Christ, not converts. To notch in your belt, hey, he prayed the prayer, gotcha. You're on your way to heaven. No, make disciples. That make a follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to introduce the concept that with this confession and this believing in your heart comes a life-changing commitment to now be a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is a verse that does that. There are other verses. If you don't want to use this one, use a different one. But it's the whole concept that those who live no, live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them. He died for you. Now, you accept that, you believe that, you trust in him. You're not just trusting in him as your savior. You're also trusting in him that you're going to live for him. And I really appreciate they include that. I'll tell you a verse not to include in this list of verses you're going to use. Whether it's 5, 6, 8, I wouldn't go over 10. Okay? But have a concept of the verses you should be using, and you should have them memorized just in case you don't have a Bible around. Um, but it's best to have one to put in their face and to let them see it that this is a very special book. Why does the Bible look so different? You ever thought about that? Does your Bible... Can you recognize a Bible on the bus? If somebody's reading a Bible, you can recognize it. I can walk in and say, oh, on an airplane? Oh, they got a Bible they're reading. And I've had people say, oh, you're reading a Bible. Isn't that interesting? Most cases, you get to, I know there's some Bibles that have paperback and all that trying to fit in. And st I like a distinctive Bible because I want them to know I'm reading the Bible. And this, this paper, this really thin paper, often a leather-bound, how many leather-bound books does anybody have? Okay. If you're really into books, you might have a few. But for most people, they will never own a leather-bound book. And they, and they hardly ever even see one. Okay? And that's why I'm okay with that. And I like to have a book that looks like a Bible. and doesn't look like a paperback I picked up at the airport bookstore. Okay? I want something that looks like so they can see it. But I show it to them. And, and I, I don't know why that came up, but I just throw that out at you. Um, they'll notice it and say, this is what the Bible says. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. It's part of the commitment you're making is that I'm going to live for Christ who died for me and rose again for me. What you don't want to do, that's where I was at, is take them to what so many tracts do and so many evangelism programs do. Take them to John, 1 John chapter 5. Right? They all want you to go there. Let's turn to 1 John 5 so you know not to include that one. Um, 1 John 5 is the last chapter in the book of 1 John. Why don't I use 1 John 5 when everybody else does? Look, my Bible opened to 2 Peter by itself. 1 John 5, and they, what verse are they going to take you to? They're going to take you to, which word, um, where is it? Verse 13. 
We're going to take you to verse 13. 1 John 5, 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Okay? And usually they'll always take them there, that you have or some verse similar to that that talks about eternal security, and, and uh, it's often used in that context. And uh, you might say, well, Pastor, it does say in there that you have to believe in the name of Jesus Christ uh, and that you should know that you have eternal life, that you may continue to believe in the name of Jesus Don't you want people to continue? Yes, I do. But um, this is a great discipleship verse, not a good concluding verse for your evangelism. This is a good verse to get to after you've, because if you're a new believer and you're coming in and, I, and you're coming to me saying, I want to be, I'm going to take you to 1 John and we're going to do chapter 1 through 5 because that's the beginning of the Christian life. Take care of your sin on a daily basis. Love God. Keep his commandments. Love the brother and love his word. Uh, don't make excuses. Obedience, obedience, obedience. And then at the end of the book, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay? Uh, so I do that very early on uh, in their discipleship. But in terms of evangelism, I don't want to race to that so quickly. I really like going to the 2 Corinthians passage because it talks about discipleship. There are other verses you could also use, including in Romans. All right? Um, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That's a discipleship verse. The life which I now live is for who? Christ. So that's there in Romans. So you can include that. There are other verses. They choose to use this one because um, it's reinforcing the idea of the death and resurrection. And, uh, and I'm letting them tell me, remember, the end of the passage, what do you think this says? What does this say to you? What does this mean? And you'll be shocked if you get to this point with somebody that they'll know what it means. They'll pick it up. I should live for him. Okay? It's that whole concept. Paul used to crucify Christ. And, and it's now directed to someone else, though. And then the last one they have, which is a great little one at the end, is in Revelation. They say, Revelation? We're going to take people to Revelation? Because the last verse they want to use is a verse to invite them. So far, it's been informative, 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 informative. What does it mean? What do I, what's involved in this? Uh, and we really haven't called them to a decision. You could do that after, um, if you confess through the mouth and believe in your heart, you'll be saved. I could do it there. But I want to make sure they know that if you're going to make this confession, if you're going to make this belief, that it's going to transform your life, and that's 1 Corinthians 5, or 2 Corinthians 5, 15. Um, and so now I want to get back to the idea that you have to respond. And they use Revelation chapter 3, 20. Chapter 3, verse 20. And again, who's speaking? Jesus. We're back to the red letters. So if you have red letter edition, I don't have that. I'm assuming 320 is in red, right? Thank you. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. 
What does it mean that God is standing at your door knocking? It means he wants entrance. Are you going to let him in? Now, I don't tell them that. I ask them, what does that mean to you? <laughs> and they figure it out. Well, it seems that God wants, uh, yeah, wants to give me this gift. And I was like, yeah. Are you ready to receive that? Are you ready to open the door of your heart to this truth that you heard today, that you read for yourself and interpreted for yourself out of the Bible? Are you ready to receive that into your heart, to confess it with your mouth, and to let it transform your life, to become a follower of Jesus Christ? Okay, that's seven passages. I use eight because I like to insert Romans 5, 8. Okay? Um, again, it's every track, every system is going to be Bible-based. What I really like about these guys is the whole idea of let people read it themselves. Let them read it, hear it, think about it, and tell you what it means. And now you have a conversation around God's Word. And you've just given them permission to pick up the Bible and read it for themselves. Now you've given them seven or eight chances to practice reading the Bible and figure out what it means. Now, is that a little bit dangerous without the Holy Spirit? Yes. Obviously, um, there are very well-educated people in seminaries all over that deny the deity of Christ, that have read extensively in the Bible and aren't saved and are going to hell. Uh, so, yes, there are some dangers in doing that without the Holy Spirit's help, but these are salvific verses that point people to Christ, and they either re they can reject it and be embittered against it, but they'll at least think about it and know they're there. And you've also introduced the idea that, do you want a Bible? You can investigate some of this yourself some more. Maybe you want to read the whole story about Jesus. Here's a Gospel of John. I used to have a stack of Gospel Johns. That was in Rio Rancho, I think, when I was pastoring there. And when I went to Utah, I still had some, so I took some of those. And, and you know, Jesus stand at the door and knock. I don't know how long he's going to knock on your heart, but he's knocking. And he's the only way to get rid of your sin to qualify for heaven. He is, he's the only resurrected person that didn't die again. There were some other resurrected people, but they died later on. He's the only one that conquered sin and death. Um, are you, do you want to trust in him? And they'll say, well, I'm not really ready to do that. And when that's a good answer, because if they haven't been properly convicted of their sin by the Holy Spirit, you don't want to prematurely have them make that decision. Um, but uh, with the uh, Medals for Glory ministry, they had this nice pin. You know, we had our, our pin for the Olympic pin, that was medals for glory and that we shared. So we said, well, here, you've really been patient. I'd like to give you this pin. And on the pin was a card that had my name and contact information and said, well, you ever want to pursue any of this? 
you know, let me know, and, and my contact information is on there. You're free to call me. There's also contact information with Medals for Glory, uh, and, and that would send it to the GRBC headquarters um, uh, through Gospel Literature Services. So it had that contact. They contact them as well, um, and, and we give them that, and I give them a Gospel of John, and um, we give them that whole presentation but the whole thing is they read it out of a bible it's marked in this gospel of john some other verses um, or a little new testament i mean a new testament those gideon new testaments are like fit in a breast pocket i mean it's small you can give them the whole new testament um, but mark something for them and say hey you can start right here this is the story of jesus you want to read it it's four times matthew mark luke and john pick one um, read it um, and uh it was interesting, after each of those medals for glory, we, they had all these um, cards sent into them because one of the things was a decision card that was in that little envelope with the contact information and the pin. And they were getting those decision cards um, sometimes 18 months later, decision cards, asking for more information. I made a decision for Christ and from all over the world from athletes, from spectators, from family members, and from people who had nothing to do with the Olympics because they're the third generation who's got to get that packet. Because the guy that got it given to them gave it to somebody else who gave it to them. Okay, and that's what people talk about tracks, you know. Yeah, a lot of them are thrown down, but some of them are carried and some of them are shared and shared and shared and shared. Okay, and so... Use your Bible, use their Bible if they have one, um, but boy, give God's word in there. And you should know these verses. You should, these passages and ones like them, you should, you should really have them focus. In our Word of Life clubs, we really try to focus them on verses that, that talk, uh, that point towards salvation. And uh, we spend all this year working on the Ten Commandments. Well, what was the purpose of the law? Why would I memorize the Ten Commandments? Point number one in salvation is you're a dirty, rotten sinner. <laughs> what proves it? Ten commandments. <laughs> Broke how many of them? Well, I know I disobeyed my mom. My dad, I'm a sinner. You're guilty. What are you going to do about it? And so have that, and that means you're going to have to have resources um, to have those New Testaments handy, to have that contact information to have your Bible with you, all right? No matter how much I have memorized, and so I like to carry those around. Um, in your vehicle, you should probably have a Bible handy. Um, but now you have it digitally, right? Let me tell you something. Digitally is no comparison. I know you can bring it up on your phone, flip it around, and they can do it too. There's just something about a physical Bible in their presence that has an impact. I don't know what it is. It's still there to some degree in people's minds um, when they see a book like that that they've never been exposed to that gets their attention. Can they look it all up on? Yes, you can read the whole Bible in every language and in every uh, pretty much that you can uh, in it, and 
yes, I know that. And I know I could use my phone to do this. Uh, I just want to challenge you that uh, sometimes you get a greater response with this, with the physicality instead of the digitalness of a Bible in their presence. That's why you're having them see it in the Bible and read it. There's that association, that connection that makes. I don't think there's any magic in the paper. I just think that it makes a psychological effect for them to say, oh, this is something important. I mean, you're carrying a Bible around? I mean, you could just as easily do that with your tablet or whatever you're carrying, your phone, your Apple, your iGod. I mean, pod. Okay? And so I like to use God's Word. And if that if they don't want to read it physically, um, they can read it online. But I really would prefer people to, to have it in their possession. Okay. Any questions, comments? Gone long. Get your list. Use your Bible. When you have the opportunity, use it and let people read it and then explain it to you. It's not that hard. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for your word and for its truth that it declares. We thank you most of all for that truth, Jesus Christ, and for all he has done at Calvary's cross. And Lord, our prayer is that you might find us walking in your truth before men, that they might see it and glorify you by asking why. Why are you what you are and how you are? like you are. Lord, help us to be ready um, ourselves and then ready with your word. We know that your word is the Spirit's sword. And Lord, to use not only on us, um, but also on the world, that you've made a promise that your word will not, will not return void or empty. And so Lord, help us to uh, bring people to thinking on and reading and considering your truth presented in your word of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray, amen.